Welcome to What the Fab, a fan's first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I'm here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that tries to demystify this wonderful game a bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. Today, we are talking fab habits and tricks of the trade with Jenny Butler. Jenny is a contributor at Fantrax and Roto Baller. She has contributed to the amazing draft guide at FPN Fantasy that I use religiously for the last couple of years. And she is also one of my league mates in Glarf and really just one of the smartest fantasy baseball players I know. Welcome to What the Fab, Jenny. Thank you for having me. That was a very kind intro. I'm happy to be here. Oh, you earned every word of that intro. And I'm excited to have this conversation. We've been talking about it since I started the show, honestly. And mm-hmm. uh, I- I've learned so much from you about Fab and how you go about your weekly habits and making sure that you know that you're prepared each week when Sunday rolls around. And we'll get in to all of that. But before we do, news and notes from around the league really quick. Uh, I would like to just say that the first few weeks of this show have just been me recapping injuries because it feels like we've had a lot of them. So today... I'm going to start with guys who are coming back from suspension or injury who could impact your leagues, or if you have them on your bench, you're just really happy about them. Both Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are coming back. Scherzer from suspension, Verlander from injury. Uh, I guess you're really happy if you have those dudes on your bench and you might be looking for some alternatives. If you have David Peterson or Tyler McGill, what do you think, Jenny? Yeah, I'm, I personally am happy. I, one of those things where you do a bunch of drafts and then you sort of at the end, go back and look at what you have. And I thought, oh my Lord, I have a lot of these Mets, a lot of Scherzer and Verlander. And I didn't necessarily do it intentionally, especially because I don't love the training staff on the Mets and their ability to keep people healthy. But Scherzer, suspension, no problem. Unfortunately, he lost a two-start week and then again lost a two-start week because those uh, delays, those rain delays over the weekend pushed his start back. But either way, I'm happy to have him back. I'll take it. Verlander I've been hanging on to and, and, you know, just waiting and waiting. And thankfully I'll be glad to have him back. Um, You know, as far as McGill, I do roster in a league and I'm going to just kind of wait and see what they decide to do. Um, Peterson, I believe got sent down. So I think he's an easy drop um, and just, I think we just have to kind of let it play out a little bit and see what they decide to do. Yeah, Peterson definitely got sent down because I had him in an auction uh, that I did. And I think I dropped him for, I believe I got two start Vince Velasquez there. We'll see how that works out for me because (laughs) I I was outbid on uh, both Tanner Bybee and uh, Logan Allen and Velasquez was the next man up. So um, I I got absolutely shut out on the Bybee Allen stuff like it. And we can talk about why that might have been. The one league where I thought I had a really decent chance was Tout Wars. And shout out um, to Casey, Bubba, Brian Entrican. Uh, he got both of them outbidding Ooh. all of us. And I was the runner up bid on Bybee. And I'm still a little frustrated oh, about it. That's such a bummer. When you see the amount that you had there in the runner up spot, it's just like, oh, so close. Yeah, I believe it was 221 to 196. And I was the second I saw it, I was like, I had a, I just had a mental block about going over 200 mm-hmm. and I didn't. And I saw it and I was like, I should have kicked in that extra 30 bucks. (laughs) Yeah. It's one thing I've noticed is, you know, people do have that mental block. So when you do want somebody and you're going to get that close to a round number like that, sometimes, and this wouldn't have helped in your case, but you know, sometimes it is better to just go to a one or something like that, just because other people don't want to put that two at the front of it or, you know, the the extra round number. So if you're going to get so close, like if you were going to bid maybe 175, there's a big difference between 175 and 200. But if you're going to go 196, 
is it really that much different to go like 201? And then you hopefully will get in front of the people that are a little bit on the fence there. Yeah, I mean, that's going to work out real well for uh, Brian over the course of the season. I'm, I'm, I sent him a note on Twitter. I was just like, congrats, man. Like, that's killer. And I love that for you. And I hate it for me. I know, right? I know. I And I live in Columbus, Ohio. So, you know, they both have were pitching here. I believe Alan was. I know Bibby was. Or Bibby. Um, but uh, I never got a chance to get out and see them before they got promoted. And I was just like, oh. But I do have tickets. Hopefully... Uh, William Sturt will line up with my tickets for Friday. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Oh, nice. You'll have to let me know what they look like in person. Um, Let's move on here a little bit. Uh, Rysiel Iglesias looks like he's ready to come back. He's made a couple of rehab starts. And I I don't know if this is good or bad news for me. I've had AJ Minter in a handful of leagues, and he's been racking up some saves. He's also been blowing a lot of saves, and his ratios are absolutely horrendous. So if you have Iglesias on your bench, congratulations. And if you've been riding the AJ mentor wave, I, I guess this is bad for us. <laughs> yeah. Between I, bad and good. I did not get in on the AJ mentor. I think I, you know, I bit on him here and there, but not a ton and didn't end up with them, but I do have Iglesias and Glarf and we drafted that league at the beginning of March. And when we didn't know he was injured. So I've just been hanging on to him because, you know, I paid full price for nice. what he was supposed to be. So I'm hoping that I can get some good value as the season goes on. Absolutely. And um, another guy who is coming back to the Atlanta squad, hopefully he says by Cinco de Mayo, we'll see what really happens is Orlando Arcia. I'm mostly concerned about this for depth reasons. I've picked up Von Grissom in a couple of leagues and, and he's been pretty good. Like, I don't, I don't know how they send Grissom back with the outfield crew that they have. I think that they should probably try to play both of them, but it'll be interesting to see what Atlanta does. Yeah. And I, you know, I spent the entire preseason defending Grissom and believing in him and I drafted him some places. Um, but the, the idea that he might not start um, was kind of becoming more solidified as the very late drafts were happening. So I didn't get him too much there. But then I picked up Arcia everywhere um, at the very, you know, the first week of the season, or I drafted him at the very end of drafts and he was doing great. And then he got hurt. And I know later we're going to talk about drops, but I'm a pretty aggressive dropper. So when he got hurt, I dropped him everywhere. (laughs) And so now I'm sitting around looking at like, okay, I got to try to get him back hopefully, but also, you know, Grissom's done okay. And what are they going to do? Um, you know, so I think it's, he's a good person to get, I believe in his skills, but at the same time, you have to keep it a little bit in check because we don't know yet what, the, what he's going to do. And if he comes back and doesn't start out well, even he might lose, he might become a complete bench bat. So, you know, it, I like him and I want to bid on him. I want to get him back, but also you have to be realistic about what his role might be. I couldn't agree with that more. And I also, I'm curious, uh, and you can just average it because you probably picked him up in multiple leagues, but what did you pick up RCA for at the start of this season? Do you remember? Um, well, I know that in Las Vegas in uh, for the NFBC drafts, I drafted him a lot at the very end in the, you know, th- round in the thirties of rounds. It's a great draft pick. Um, yeah. Oh, you know what I can do? I can click on him and see, can't I? Well, and while you're looking that up, part of the reason I ask is because that second base shortstop eligibility, middle infielder eligibility has become gold in a lot of leagues right now. It's really hard to find anybody on the waiver wire who is worth rostering that has that eligibility. I realized that in a couple of like home leagues I play in when I I was looking for a shortstop after Tim Anderson got hurt, 
And the best I could do was Ezekiel Tovar. <laughs> and then like a couple weeks later, that Ezekiel Tovar wasn't even available. And so I feel I like whatever you picked up RCF for in the early weeks or on draft day is going to be three times more when he comes back from the injury. Yeah, it looks like I only added him in one league after the season started, and that was for 44. Um, and then I dropped him basically everywhere I had him. And then I picked him back up last week. Um, in one of my auction leagues for 12. Um, If he really does come back on Friday, um, he'll be back and that will raise his price. So, you know, I hopefully um, he won't be too, too expensive, but you know, I I wouldn't go crazy for him, but he's also like possibly one of the better options at this point. He definitely is, at least until the Cubs realize that Christopher Morrell is raking in AAA and they should have called him up two and a half weeks ago, but that is for my other podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> the last guy I want to talk about here, bearing the lead a little bit. Bryce Harper is back today. We are recording on May 2nd and Bryce Harper has been announced as back. Is he I, in the lineup? I hadn't looked honest. I, I don't yeah. know if he's in the lineup. I know he's off the injured list and he's in LA. I'm stunned. I Me too. did not think he was coming back until the all-star break. I didn't think the most optimistic of optimistic, chances had him back before the all-star break I didn't think the Phillies would risk it uh even if it was close I I mean I I can't imagine they would risk it right like they're not that desperate they're sitting at 500 they'd be okay that's a huge impact bat that a bunch of people have been just holding out hope for and I don't even if Bryce Harper is available in any league that you're in I, I don't even want to know what the bad price for Bryce Harper is. Oh, I, it would be a huge. I watched I Anthony imagine. Volpe go for $502 earlier this season. So, <laughs> yeah. Just empty your account if you want Bryce yeah. Harper, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical and I don't know if it's just my own stubbornness because when people in the off season were saying, you know, you look at the timeline for this type of injury and it sort of is what it is. It's a fairly common injury at this point. Although I think he had a slightly different procedure. They're doing that internal brace now instead of the full Tommy John, but you know, and that one's a little bit more uncertain, but you know, it's, it, there's a pretty set timeline for this type of injury. And I heard people saying, oh, he's so amazing that he's going to, you know, he's going to beat it. And that, that train of that line of thinking really bothered me. Cause it's like, you can't just will your you know UCL into healing. It's not, it's not a matter of desire to, right. to, to heal. And I mean, you can do a lot, you can do all the things that they tell you to do, but probably most, if not all of the guys are doing all the things they're told to do. So, you know, I don't, that line of thinking really bothered me and I was resistant to it. And I thought there's no way he's coming back earlier. And so now when he is coming back earlier, I don't know whether to believe it or not. And, you know, you would think that they wouldn't have him back unless he was healthy enough to re to play the way he should be playing. But I also don't know if he's a more susceptible to getting injured again if he, you know, is going to um, be able to perform the way that you would like him to perform. I mean, it's possible he'll come back and, you know, just not hit very well. You know, it's, he's in danger of sliding. They keep telling him that they're going to tell him, you know, to slide feet first, but you know, once you get in the game and your instincts take over, will he just not even thinking of it slide head first, you know, who knows? So, yeah. you know, I'm a little bit skeptical, but like I said, it might just be my own stubbornness because I was so resistant to that line of thinking 
in the preseason. So I don't know. I don't know what to think of this, but I don't, I don't have them anywhere. I don't have them on any team. So I'm just going to be watching from afar and, you know, selfishly maybe hoping for a little bit of a slow start. I think I have them in one gladiator draft and nowhere else. So I couldn't, I didn't even have like a lineup move to make or anything. I did just check. He is in the lineup tonight. He is hitting third. Uh, Lineup for Philadelphia tonight, Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Castiano, Stott, Real Muto, Baum, Marsh. So amazing. That's unbelievable. Uh, we'll see what happens. I wish him nothing but great things. The game is more yes. fun when Bryce Harper yes. is playing. Personally, and also, I'm yes. Fancy every time, I'm like, eh, you know, every time he does something with fun. his elbow, I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> I know. For like a month and a half. Be, right? Yeah. Right? Um, there are still, sadly, some injuries that we need to chat about. Jacob deGrom, again. Uh, I. I feel like we are just being robbed of greatness every time Jacob DeGrom has an injury and I, I don't have any shares. I It's just a little bit, it's too high of a price point and too much of a risk for me at this point in time. But the game is better when Jacob DeGrom is doing yes. Jacob DeGrom things. And this just, that's just a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also pretty injury risk averse. So I also don't have them. I think it, it it's a huge difference when you're talking about paying, you know, a first five round price for somebody compared to injury risk that you can take later on. So yeah, I don't have them anywhere, but it's just amazing. You know, he, he can have maybe two or three, maybe four healthy starts and he's just gone again. And I'm, I've started to wonder, and I'm, I know I'm not the first person to wonder this obviously, but you know, some of these people that are just throwing at their absolute max effort all the time, you know, that might not be great for your health. And, you know, maybe a 96 mile an hour Jacob deGrom would be 90% as effective and 100% healthier. So, you know, some of these guys, you know, even just, you know, I don't have enough medical knowledge to know if it's directly related, but, you know, you see somebody like Chris Bubich, who's like, oh my God, he's got two more miles an hour and everybody loves him and everybody starts picking him up. And then he's hurt. And it's like, well, maybe that two miles an hour wasn't necessarily such a great thing. So, you know, I think we're in an age where these guys are just throwing at an absolute max effort with a pitch clock now, and they don't have as much time to recover. And, you know, maybe we're starting to see some of the effects of that. I think you're absolutely right. I was actually listening to Rates and Barrels walking around the neighborhood right before we started the show. And uh, Eno was talking about something similar. He was saying that, you know, there are certain driveline has done studies apparently of when injury risk or not injury risk, sorry, when stress on your elbow mm-hmm. increases. And but you should go listen to the late, latest episode of Rates and Barrels to hear Eno talk about this. But there's also a piece out at The Athletic um, that Eno, Bridgeroli, and somebody I am blanking on collaborated on. That looks that talks about the same thing, like our injury risk going up because of the pitch clock. Uh, they're kind of inconclusive about it. It's worth taking a look at. And every time you're adding that velocity, every time you're adding a new pitch or adding spin, you're also adding stress. So if your body can't handle that stress, it's worth keeping an eye on. Um, speaking of a lineup that is going to be stressed with some of these developments, uh, Tyler Maley and Kenta Maeda both hurt. That creates an opportunity for Louis Varland. Uh, Jenny, you picked up Louis Varland in Glarf. Congratulations. Um, that was a great bid. Uh, I wasn't close. <laughs> um, tell me uh, what you're thinking, what you're expecting from Varland and what you think for this Twins rotation. Well, Varland, as far as Varland goes, I just wanted a piece of that Minnesota rotation. And it seemed like for right now, he's got a pretty safe spot. I think it seems fairly obvious that Ober is 
the sixth man and he's the seventh man. So I didn't want to go too high. I wasn't going to go into the like 80 plus dollar range, but um, I do have some injuries on the Glarf team and I wanted to, um, I wanted to get somebody. So I went a little higher than maybe I normally would have, but um, you know, I was happy to get him. I didn't get him anywhere else. I'm, I've heard good things. I'm not, I haven't looked into him as thoroughly as I probably should have, but here and there just on podcasts and things, I had heard people who had looked closer into him saying that they liked what they saw. So I just, uh, you know, took a shot and he was probably third or fourth in my waterfall behind uh, Bybee and, and Alan and some of those guys. Yeah. We'll talk about Bybee and Alan for a second. Uh, all these early starters are, are I, I have not had a shot at all, but that's okay. Cause the people who are spending all of their money on these early starters will be out of money soon. Um, the other rotation that's gotten kind of stressed recently is the Astros rotation. Jose Urquidy and Luis Garcia both um, being pulled out of games early, hitting the injured list. Um, what do you th- what do you see in this Astros rotation? You know, I hear uh, Forrest Whitley's name thrown around a little bit, but you know, I think amongst you know the fantasy baseball community, especially, we look at who the sexiest guy is that might fill in and not necessarily what the most realistic option is for who's going to fill in. You know, I do have a good amount of Garcia. And of course, you know, on a potential two start week, he throws what eight pitches or something and goes down. So now he's stuck in my lineup all week. Um, I don't think I started or in the couple of places that I have him because he hadn't been doing great. Um, But I have him, I know on a draft champions team. So I don't know what they're going to do, but I am somebody who in general just believes in certain rotations. So, you know, if it's Atlanta, Minnesota this year, um, Houston, you know, some of these rotations, like whoever they put in there, I'm going to bid on. And I, even if I don't know a lot about them, we'll find out, you know, maybe I'm not going to go overboard in a bid, but like somebody pitching for a good team that has a good history of bringing in pitchers and them performing well, I'm just going to have some blind faith to just go with it. Yeah, I think that's well said. I trust the Astros organization and I'm going to see when they put those names out, I will, I will bid on those people. Uh, Whitley is the um, speculation that I've heard as well on roster resource over at Fangrass, which is a great resource if you're not using Mm it. Um, They don't have anybody listed there yet. They've got three starting pitchers listed for Houston and then they've got, uh, the top pitching prospects listed as Whitley, who Jenny named, and um, Sean Dubin and JP France uh, as well. So we'll see what the Astros wind up doing. But I agree. Those are guys you bid on when they come up and you and you bid accordingly based on who the call-ups could be. The last uh, injury that I want to talk about here that's co- consequential for two reasons, in my opinion, uh, is Aaron Judge, who's out with a hip strain um, that's consequential because one, I think it makes the Yankees a team that you're much more willing to throw a pit starting pitcher against. Um, for example, if I had one, any shares of Bybee, I'd be very excited to start Tanner Bybee tonight. Um, but he also, I mean, he's just a great player. I don't have any shares of Aaron judge this year. I might have one actually, but he's, he's incredible and you want him in your lineup and that's impossible to replace. Yeah. Yeah. I have actually never had judge on a team until this year where in the last auction that I did in Vegas, he was my highest priced player that I got. So um, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that he'll be okay. Um, But you're right. Stream. I think almost the bigger impact is streaming against New York now. And I unfortunately went a little bit too quickly yesterday in setting my lineups and 
regretfully did not start Cal Quantrill in the two leagues that I have him. And he actually did well yesterday. And I just thought, oh, why didn't I think of the fact that there's no judge in this lineup? I should have done it. And I didn't think it through enough. And so uh, I was regretting that when looking at my live scoring last night. I mean, I, that's easy to have happen. The Yankees have had a do not throw streamable starters label on them for years yeah. now. And yeah. it just happens to be that this week they're not that threatening. I will say that I have had judge one time and it was when he was first called up in a home league where I just happened to be the first person to the waiver wire. That was Ooh, also yeah, the year that I, I think it was the same year that I picked up Juan Soto off the waiver wire. That might've been the next year. Anyway, there were like back to back years where I was just like, grab judge, grab Soto. And I was just like, this is, <laughs> I am crushing in this league, but really it was all just timing. It, that's not, it wasn't like a fab type of league. It was just like, a, I got to the waiver wire first yeah. type of situation. Those um, and terrible. <laughs> right, exactly. For different reasons. One other thing I want to talk about before we jump into FAB, which is what our focus is here today, is the Mexico series, uh, which if you watch these games in Mexico City, oh my God, they ruled. I amend my previous statement that I would like MLB to expand to Mexico City because I think that a Mexico City team would definitely have trouble uh, attracting starting pitching. Honestly, any pitching. Nobody wants to throw in that environment. I think they had an anecdote that uh, you Darvish, while he was watching Musgrove start, went up to the pitching coach in San Diego and was like, I think my arm, I kind of feel like a thing. And I, <laughs> so good. I don't yeah. know if I can go tomorrow, <laughs> which I thought was hysterical. But here's my new idea. I think they should mimic what they do with the NFL London series. And every team should play three games in Mexico City each year. They can all just chip in for stadium costs and paying for the staff and whatever. They can split the gate. It will give them a huge incentive to market in Mexico City. That was some of the most fun baseball I've ever seen. There were luchador masks. There were pinata celebrations. It was outstanding. The crowd was incredible. And there were dingers. Like, there were so many dingers. And yeah. I think the only thing that I loved more than the dingers, and I am not a person. I don't place bets on, like, who's going to hit a home run today. I don't do prop bets or anything like that. But... I was watching the over under for that first game because it started at 8.5 and then it went yeah. to 15.5. Yeah. By the second inning, it was 21.5. And then yeah. it went to like 25.5. I was like, yeah. this is nuts. <laughs> so no, I, I don't know Why if you saw. That? So it opened at eight and a half. And then Derek Carty put out a tweet that the bat projection for the game was 15 and a half or 17 and a half. The bet within 10 minutes, the bet was pulled from all the sites and came back up at like 15. I mean, eight so like, and a half I, in Mexico City is no brainer. Like you take that bet. Yeah. I mean, the bookmakers just clearly didn't realize what the hitting environment was going to be like. But, you know, people were kind of mad at Derek Cardi for putting that out there and causing the line to move. But I just thought it was hilarious that, you know, they, they didn't do their homework. Derek Cardi had to tell them <laughs> that it was going to be a high scoring game. But unfortunately, I didn't get to see as much of it as I would have liked. I had family in town this weekend who are not all, you know, into watching baseball. So I saw some of the game on Saturday and I didn't see any of the game on Sunday, which is a bummer. I need to go back and watch it maybe. But um, I didn't pay enough attention. Boy, I'm really admitting a lot of my mistakes today. I didn't pay <laughs> I enough attention. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Um, I didn't pay enough attention at the beginning of the week that that series was in Mexico city. When you're looking at your lineups, you just see, you know, the team that they're playing. And I don't remember who was technically the home team, but I didn't pay enough attention to it. And I started Musgrove and I started Manaya. 
And, and I have two, both of those on one team. So oh, that rough. team got absolutely rocked that day. And I just had, there's one of those days where you just have to like turn off the live scoring and just not think about it because there's nothing you can do about it. Just let it go. You know, I realized that the Mexico games were happening as I was about to put Joe Musgrove in a daily lineup smoothly. I wish, and I was I like, wish. Oh, I can't do that. Um, and then I pulled you Darvish for the next day in a different league immediately. But those were daily moves leagues. I did not realize it at the start of the week, because if I had realized it at the start of the week, I would have been looking for Padres and giants on the waiver wire and yeah. just like stacking. Cause you know, it's a pre course environment with 2000 additional feet of elevation and no humidor. It's yeah. the best home run environment of all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. I think I saw somewhere that uh, in the equivalent, you know, uh, at sea level or at a normal MLB park, a 418 foot home run would be like 468 feet. It added like 50 feet onto a home run distance. It's crazy. Yeah, I tweeted this at some point during the game, but like it felt like any ball that was hit hard in the air had a 50-50 shot of going out. Yeah. And you would just watch the outfielders. They would like look at the ball off the bat and half the time they're just like, yeah, I'm not even going to try. Like, I'm not even going to move. I'm just going to walk <laughs> yeah. the ball still over my head. I really, as I, I was talking to Ruth Capellas about this on Twitter, because uh, both of us went to the World Baseball Classic this year. Unfortunately, in different places, she went to Phoenix. I went to Miami. But we were both like, why are we not at this game? Like what was going on in my mind that I didn't prioritize going to Mexico city to watch the Padres and giants play. I, I am going to rectify that immediately. If the Cubs or Red Sox are ever in that game, I will be in Mexico oh, yeah. city so fast. It will be my vacation for the year. And I am a girl who like did not even try to go to the Cubs London series. I'm like, I don't need to see the Cubs play baseball in London. Like who cares? Like I'm not going to yeah. spend a, dollars to go to London. I can watch Cubs Cardinals anytime. I will go to Mexico City to watch the Cubs hit dingers. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome. We, we'll make it a girls weekend. We'll just like all go to there Mexico City. Love it. In. Um, we're here to talk fab today, though. And what could be better on what the fab? Honestly, Jenny, I learned so much talking to you about fab at First Pitch Arizona this year. By the way, plug for First Pitch Arizona. Uh, it's amazing. You should totally go. I, I'm just going to start really broad. What is your process each week for identifying the players that you want to bid on? So what I do, um, I keep a running list during the week. I do it on a piece of paper. You, do, you could do it on your phone. You know, I'm low tech a little bit that way. But um, I, as I'm listening to podcasts, reading articles, as I'm watching games and I see, oh, this is the second day in a row this guy's been in. And I kind of look up, oh, he's been playing a lot. You know, I'll just jot it down. Um, and I'll usually, if I'm near, you know, where I can quickly check what teams they're on, I'll also write down what teams they're of mine they're available on, because that's just handy on Sunday. Um, but, you know, actually, the first thing that I do is I look at my own teams before I really decide who I'm going to bid on. I go to each of my teams and I go through the week and set my lineup and for NFBC, we they, you can change your hitting lineup on Friday. So you have a Monday through Thursday lineup and a Friday through Sunday lineup. I go through and I do both of those separately. And that lets me know, just sort of gives me an overview of my team. I mean, this is maybe also because I have quite a few teams. So maybe if you only have one, you can keep that all in your head. But, you know, I need a sort of a refresher of going through each team, set my lineup, and it gives me several pieces of information. I know 
um, who has been injured on my team in the last week and who I might, you know, I might not be able to use that person. Even if they're kind of day to day, I sort of mentally exclude them from my lineup so that I make sure I'm covered if they don't play. And then um, which positions do I need? You know, if there's somebody with a bad matchup or they only are playing two games over the weekend or something like that. And then I also get an idea from that of who might be droppable on my team. You know, if I'm not using this person Monday through Thursday or Friday through Saturday, Sunday, and they, you know, they're kind of marginal, well, that's a potential drop for my league. And so with each of those, by looking at it that way, I can take my big list that I've been making throughout the week and kind of narrow it down and sort of personalize it for each of my leagues. And, you know, one thing that um, I learned to do and something that, you know, I learned by playing, you know, in these higher money leagues is that you really have to kind of try and stay as restrained as you possibly can. You know, if you're paying, if you're playing, you know, a home league and it's for fun and my home league, I do this too, you know, and you know, the, the prize money is not as big of a deal then like, yeah, go crazy. Get all the fun guys. Like my home league, uh, my home league is team fun. Like it's all the guys that I wish I could take in NFBC, but I can't. And so, you know, that you kind of have to know what kind of league you're playing in, you know, for me, and I invest a lot of money and a lot of time in these leagues, I have to kind of keep myself reined in and treat it more like a business. You know, it's important that, you know, when you're looking at Tanner Bybee, you need to be realistic about what the range of outcomes is for him. You know, he could come up and he could be phenomenal. And that's what we all think about when we hear he's coming up. Oh my God, he's going to be amazing. But, you know, there's a whole range of outcomes there. He could come up and be just sort of okay. He could lose his position when McKenzie and Savali come back. You know, maybe Allen will pitch a little better than him and Allen will overtake him and be the number six and he'll be the number seven. Um, you know, not every rookie is an instant success, but, you know, for the right price, those risks are still risks worth taking. So, you know, I have this giant list of, of players but, you know, in my own head, I know that I'm more of a reserve person and, you know, I'll bid on all these guys, but I, I pay more attention almost to the two through five bids in my waterfall because I know that that's more realistically who I'm going to be getting. You said like five things there that I really love. So I'm trying <laughs> to like go back to each of them, but if I miss one, yeah. we'll, we'll circle back to it to, on something else. So one of the things that you said is recognizing like who you're going to get and where and really paying attention to those waterfall bids. I recognize that. Um, so one of the benefits of Tout Wars is that Tout Wars Fab runs earlier than yeah. NFBC tap Fab. And then um, our Fab for the Earth Leagues for like Glarf and Scarf and Nerf and all of that jazz, that runs even later, right? So you can take the information that you've gathered through the earlier part of the day and you kind of make a judgment call of, yeah, this is going to work for me or this isn't going to work for me. I mean, the thing I realized this last week and I was like, oh, I, I have no shot. <laughs> I, know, me too. I have no shot at Alan. Like these guys are going for so much more than I could even imagine that this is just, this is not going to be a thing for me and my 15 teamers. Like when I saw what happened in my 12 team Tout Wars league, I was just like, yeah, and, and I'm probably out here. Now that's not the end of the world because I, I kind of thought that that might happen. And in that 12 team Tout Wars league, I wound up with uh two star Yusei Kikuchi and I mean, Kikuchi's done well by me in the past, and I figured he's started well this year, and I like the two starts he's – well, I don't love the two starts he's got this week, but but it'll be <laughs> fine. Like, I, I could, he's, yeah. he looks like a slightly different pitcher, um, and we'll see what happens. 
but those guys in your waterfall, like you want to make sure they're guys you really want and that you can mm-hmm. you can live with them in your lineup that they do help you um, relative to other players. The other thing that you said was was treating it like a business instead of treating it like the guys you love. Because the way I look at it, you have $1,000 to spend over the course of a season. For me, that means if I get the guy, I get a realistic shot at two $200 plus guys. Mm-hmm. Who are those guys? Like, who are the guys over the course of the season that I am willing to drop 200 plus dollars on? And I find that I am not the girl who's willing to, like, put that $200 bid up for anybody. Like, I, I have a set list of guys that I'm willing to do that for. And I am perfectly willing to wait until after the All-Star break for that guy to be Dustin May. Now, I, I was not right about Dustin May last year, but I, <laughs> I had a hammer in a lot of leagues last year. I dropped it on Dustin May. I don't regret it at all. Like, that's... I had a lot of reasons for thinking he was the pitcher that I should drop that on. And I did. And in some leagues it worked better for me than in other leagues. And um, I would do it again. I like my process, but that means that like Bybee was the highest bid that I have placed all season. 196 on Bybee was the highest bid that I have placed in any league all season. I didn't get him. I didn't get him anywhere. Um, I don't think that means my process is necessarily wrong. I think it means that no. like he came up earlier than maybe I thought people still had a lot of money left and I lost the, I lost those bids and that's okay. Uh, I'm going to have that money to spend on some other guys who are going to get called up at some point later in the season. And I, and I trust that there will be guys to spend that money on, but you can't spend it on everybody. Like you spend all of your fab by June, <laughs> you run into a real risk of not being able to make basic lineup moves in September. And I don't ever want to be in a position where I don't have $30 to spend in September. Yes. Yeah. And I, I am somebody who in the last few years, I've sort of developed a strategy of trying to keep a solid list of pitchers on my team and then do a little bit more streaming with the hitters. And especially in NFBC where you have two halves of the week, I want to have as good a hitters as I can have for both halves of the week. And sometimes that means, you know, picking up people just for Friday to Sunday or just for Monday to Thursday. And if I'm spending, you know, eight, $10 on those guys, that adds up. And, you know, it has worked well for me. Who knows if it will in the future, or if it will this year. But if you want to play that way, you can't be spending $400 on a rookie call-up pitcher. You just can't. And so it's just not the way I play. Um, I actually, you know, in my spreadsheet um, that I keep for fab, um, I have a spend pace tab where I have, um, I personally set aside (laughs) $150 um, for a, a big free agent. And that money is just like taken right off the top. And then for the rest of the season, I have, you know, a higher percentage of my fab being spent in April and May. And then it sort of gets progressively cheaper over the year because we all will have less money as the season goes on. And you will be able to get guys for cheaper and cheaper as the season goes on. And then I try to keep, I can't remember what the number is, but I try to keep like a chunk for September because, and that is almost untouchable money. And, you know, that keeps me, in line. And I, and, you know, even, you know, I have that 150 set aside for the big free agent, but earlier this season, you know, somebody dropped Kyle Finnegan in a league where I needed a closer and that doesn't happen to me very often. I'm usually pay up for closers. So I spent, you know, I think 
$75 of them on him. And I took $50 out of my 150 and put that, you know, and said that like $50 of that was for my big closer buy. And so I even will sort of purse that out, that big 150 out into smaller chunks if there's somebody that really fits a need and I really need to pay for them. So, you know, I'm, I'm uber conservative. So, you know, I'm not the person to talk to maybe about getting these, but you know, that 150, if that 150 and some of my ladies is still intact, even, you know, late May, that could get you just as good of a call up as Tanner Bybee or Taj Bradley. Okay. I love that. I love that you like set aside the 150 and you're like, this is my, like, this is my guy. Like, yeah, you can make go, it 200, you can I'm make it 300, go. whatever amount yeah. you want. This is going to be my guy. Money's just off the top. Yeah. And, and don't worry about giving us the conservative take. Cause I'm definitely going to invite Dave or Jake on here to give us the <laughs> spend like crazy early spend take. Like crazy. Yeah. Although I can guess what they're going to say. And, and I, I'm not trying to put words in their mouth. I, I definitely want to have both Dave McDonald and Jake Hallisker on here. Um, as the season goes on, both of our Glarf mates, brilliant players, um, actually gave me some great feedback two years ago after our draft in Glarf. Like we all went out and we were just having a beer afterwards and took a look at my draft and told me what they thought I did well, what they liked and what they didn't like. I mean, I love Glarf for this reason. Sorry, this is total aside, not on the rundown, but <laughs> everybody in Glarf is totally willing to tell you like, Hey, this mm-hmm. is where you need some help or where you don't need some help. And and part of that is because we want to win. We want our league to win the overall more than we want our individual team to necessarily like prosper. I mean, we all want to win, but it's, it's just a really, yeah. it's been a really great environment for getting good advice from really smart players. And, and I think what they would say is, you know, you spend $300 in April to get the guy who has the Shane McClanahan year. That's worth it because you wind up with all of the stats for the dude who got the Shane McClanahan year, as opposed to waiting with your hammer like me for Dustin May in August, you only get two months of those stats. But that said, the other thing you get is you get the chance to make more eight to $10 moves. Right. And I find that those eight to $10 moves like you're talking about can be really impactful because the difference of, Oh, I can pull this pitcher who is definitely not going to do anything for the last half week of the season for this other pitcher who has a shot to do something that that's meaningful, that that's relevant. Right. Or I can, what you said about streaming pit streaming hitters in the NFBC is absolutely on point because that Friday lineup lineup swap, I use it all the time. It's the reason that I can sit a day to day Julio Rodriguez when you mm-hmm. would never think about sitting Julio Rodriguez, but it's like, yeah, it's only going to be like three games. And I'd rather make sure I get four games from somebody else than not worry about him missing the, like his day off and two games and I can put him back in on Friday. And so that just gives you some more flexibility there with streaming hitters in the NFBC specifically um, that maybe you wouldn't have if you don't have that $5 here, $7 here. One of the thing, ways that I think about Fab, and I don't have it on a spreadsheet, but I might use a spreadsheet now that you've said that, um, is I I kind of parcel out like how much money I should spend in each Fab period. So I take all the Fab periods, I divide it, and I'm like, okay, well, theoretically, I should spend $60 each Fab period, or I should spend $37 each Fab period, or whatever it is. And then if I'm going above that for some reason, it's fine, but I have to be able to justify it. Like there has to be some reason that like dropping 180 on Mackenzie Gore, and that's from last year, not this year, obviously, but that that's relevant and matters and is defensible. 
Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, when these guys are getting called up, the way the environment is now, we don't have a chance to watch them pitch before we make a decision. Maybe you get one start of watching them pitch, but you don't get to sort of wait and see how they do before you get to make a decision. You just have to jump on it. And I think that people sort of know that the going price at this time of year is $300 plus, And they think, I really want this guy. So I'm going to pay what it costs. And it's not as much about, am I paying what I think this guy is worth? And for me, I try to think, and I, I have this sort of tinkling around in my brain about trying to figure out a way to put a number on rest of season projections as far as translating that to fab. I think I just haven't like really worked out. I haven't sat down and like looked at the numbers yet, but I think, you know, I think it would help us stay a little bit more realistic when thinking about like what, I mean, when Tanner Bybee or Taj Bradley are costing 300 plus dollars, they need to be, you know, a ACE level pitcher for the rest of the year. And what are the odds that that's really going to happen? I mean, 20% maybe. I mean, cause there's all these range of outcomes, you know, they could come up and be good. They could come up and be very good. They could come up and be, you know, kind of replacement level and, you know, for their teams, that's probably good enough. Like they'll be happy if they come up and are just like pretty good. And so, you know, they could come up, struggle and get sent back down. Some of these guys are coming up because of injuries and could just play well, but not, but still lose their jobs. There's just so many outcomes and it has to all go very right for that bid to be worth it. Well, and Taj Bradley is a great example here, right? Because Taj Bradley comes up is good. Yeah. (laughs) And then goes back for like, we're going to transition him from a six day to a five day, which Look, the Rays are obviously very good at what they do, and I don't want to judge anybody in the Rays front office for being amazing at baseball because they all clearly are. And also, that screams we're kind of manipulating service time here as much as possible, and we would like Taj Bradley to come up later so that he can help us later. And maybe, maybe they're looking at innings concerns, and they're Mm -hmm. like, we're not going to let Taj Bradley throw more than 120 innings this year, so we'd like those 120 innings to be later or whenever. There's a whole bunch of things that could happen there. But the last thing that I'll just add to your list of possibilities, which I think is 100% on point, they could come up and get hurt. Like it is not like these are young pitchers. I think it was Tristan McKenzie when he first came up. I was like in. I was so excited. And I think he was hurt quickly. I could be wrong about that. But um, I might be misremembering for somebody else. You're looking at me like I'm wrong about that. And you're, no, you're I don't know. I don't, I was trying to remember and <laughs> right. I don't remember. And I feel like he came up and I was like, oh yes, totally in. And then like three weeks later, it was like, oh no, injured. And I, I was just, that was a really good lesson for me. Of you cannot get so enamored of the shiny new toy that you're like, I can't, that when they get hurt, it's just a stunner, right? Yeah. Yeah. The other way. So I was trying thinking of it, you know, trying to equate it to rest of season projections. But the other thing I thought about was trying to equate it to either a draft round cost or a auction value, like kind of compare that to like if you're spending, you know, 300 plus dollars, is that the equivalent of a second round pick? I'm not, I haven't put those numbers together yet. So I might be a little bit off on that. But like, if you think of it that way, if we were drafting today, would you take Taj Bradley in the second round? Probably not. So, you know, it's so easy to just 
you know, I hate the word wish cast, but wish cast on, you know, what these guys could be, but it's important to be realistic. And yeah, you're probably not going to get these guys in April because everybody in April that's the big free agent costs way too much money. And you just have to be okay with not getting them. And it's hard. Like I, every week I spend all this time on fab and then I look at the results and I think, oh, that's who I got. All right. You know, and you just, it's kind of a bummer, but you know, you just have to kind of keep in mind that this is a long season and I'm in it for the long haul and it's going to be okay. (laughs) And just kind of give yourself a little pep talk and you didn't get them but you can still watch them and enjoy it. And, you know, you're probably making the smarter decision. You are describing my reaction to my Vince Velasquez, Yusei Kikuchi and Matt Strom, all of whom could be very helpful in my leagues and none of whom were the top two or three bids on my waterfall in the last few weeks. Um, We've covered a lot of ground here. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of jump around the rundown here just a little bit, but I, I am curious when you're assessing your needs, how much of this is, I'm going to need a middle infielder. So I've got to prioritize middle infielders. I'm going to need an outfielder. So I've got to prioritize outfielders versus I need home runs, RBIs and runs. And I'm going to start sorting based on somebody who's hit a bunch of home runs. Cause I admit, I do a, I do a little bit of a hodgepodge here. Uh, If I early in the season look and see, Oh, I, I have a real deficit at power I can maybe make that up if I can find a guy who I think is going to stick. Like I, I picked up Brent Rooker in a few leagues. Um, like there's no reason to believe that dude's playing time is going to be impacted at all. And he's hitting bombs and go for it. Uh, but I, I find that a lot of times the positional route is a better route. Which way do you tend to go? I tend to uh, lean more to the side of position. Um it depends on the time of season. So at this time of the year, you know, standings fluctuate so much that I don't pay as much attention to the standings. Um, other than, you know, when you take a look at your team and maybe you lost, you know, somebody who you were counting on for stolen bases and you can just look at your team and say, I need to really think about steals. But other than that, you know, if I have guys that are just sort of underperforming what I thought they were going to do, I'm willing to give it a while to sort of let things play out. But one thing that I'm very careful about, and this also goes back to, you know, the NFBC with the Monday through Thursday and Friday through Sunday lineups, is I want to make sure that I have at least two people at every position, preferably three if possible, and like six to seven outfielders. So, and that can be accomplished with multi-position guys. It doesn't have to be separate people because I try not to have as many hitters on my bench. But um So for me, you know, I often will have, um, you know, if I'm dropping an outfielder, I'm my list of pickups is primarily all outfielders or, you know, second baseman, middle infield, whatever you want to say there. Um, But for me, that works because a lot of things can happen over the course of the week and Friday can come and you've had an injury or two and all of a sudden you're looking at taking a zero for the weekend and those things add up and you can't afford to do that very often. So I try to have all my bases covered for, you know, setting lineups throughout the week. And if you're in a weekly league and you're doing fab on Sunday and you're setting your lineup on Monday, you're probably pretty safe that there's not going to be a lot that changes between Sunday and Monday. But for me, I like to keep a good balance of positions on my roster. And I almost always will drop and pick up equivalent positions. And sometimes that kind of keeps me out of getting some of the bigger free agents. And I don't love that 
But, you know, if there's a league where, I mean, this year that doesn't really happen, but if there's a league where I don't need a pitcher, I maybe wouldn't have bid on Bybee or Allen at all, just because that's how it works out. But, you know, I try to keep as balanced position-wise on my roster as I possibly can. No, that's, I I like what you said about, I might not have been on Bybee or Allen at all. Like if you're good on pitcher and you feel good on pitcher, I mean, I have a few leagues right now where I feel okay on pitcher and I, um, I have Tyler Glass now sitting on the bench of like a handful of leagues right now. Please, dear God, come back and be healthy and do Tyler Glass now things. Uh, I don't know. That's, that is my, like, that is my stash. That is the thing I am baking on. Like Mm -hmm. I, there's nothing on the waiver wire. There's no, there's no rookie coming up that can do what Tyler Glass now can theoretically do for me. And so I, I I don't want to drop him to, to try to take a Bybee or an Allen like that. I'd rather bank on him coming back in the middle of May and being Tyler Glass now. And I, I think that's a defensible position. Um, I think that sometimes we don't talk about the decisions we're not making, right? Like we talk more about the decisions we're making than the decisions we're not making, which actually leads me to a really important question, which is as important as ads, how are you identifying your drops? Like the guys that you're like, Oh, I'm I'm moving on. Like some of them are easy. I had David Peterson, like I said, in an auction league, like, okay, you're in triple A. Bye bye. Like we're we're good. Yeah. But sometimes they're not that easy, right? Like Glar, for example, I drafted Reese Hoskins. I uh, also drafted Matt Mervis. <laughs> I am sitting on thirty potential home runs on my bench if the Cubs will ever recognize that they should call it Matt Mervis. That is also a wasted roster spot for me at the moment. Like I am dying for the Cubs to please call it Matt Mervis. And I'm like watching myself fall behind in home runs. So it's one of these situations where it's like, at some point I need to make a decision here. And I feel kind of paralyzed by that decision because I I'm looking at what I should have had. I should have had both of them. Instead. I'm like clinging to one that hasn't been called up yet and is not on the 40 man. How are you identifying your drops? I, for me, I think that drops are the hardest part of fab like by far. And I'm still, trying to get better at it. Um, as I've gotten more experience, I've become more and more ruthless with drops. And I think it's important to distinguish between drops for different reasons. So there are drops for poor performance. And I think that sometimes in April, we get a little bit too reactionary with dropping people when they're not performing well. If you really believed in this guy and the projections were good. You believed in him. And it's also, there is a lot of rest of season projections available out there. You can see what those look like. Sometimes it's good to just be patient and hold on. And that's, I think that's a lot different than hanging on to somebody who's in the minors or who's injured. I uh, get really ruthless with, especially injury drops. Um, like I said, you know, Orlando, Orlando Arcia, you know, he's not like a very highly thought of guy, but you know, he was just an immediate drop, you know, for the most part, if somebody is not able to be in my lineup every week, I try to really seriously think about dropping them there, unless they're maybe a top five round person, I'll think about dropping them. I mean, maybe not if it's a, you know, 15 day injury kind of situation, but if you're talking about a month or two, they have to be a really good player for me to hang on that long, you know, in the NFBC, you get seven spots, no IL. So every one of those bench spots is just so important. And I've, there's some of my leagues, I have six fab leagues. Um, there's some of them where I 
currently and at other parts of the season have no stashes and no injuries on my bench. I have all usable guys because I just like cannot stand having unusable people on my bench. I need to be better at this because in the NFBC, so I am hard. always nursing an injury. Like I am always, always. I, I did it in two different leagues this year and I knew what I was doing when I was doing it. I like drafted Saya and Glass now back to back. I'm like, what are you doing? Like that is two injured players who are going to be sitting on your bench until like at least May. And admittedly with Saya, it sort of worked out for me. It looks like he came yeah. back. He's Saya-ish. Everything is good. But that was a bench spot that I was just like staring at, freaking out. <laughs> For multiple yeah. weeks, and I need to be better about it. Um, it's it's a lesson that I am learning as I go, particularly in the NFBC. It, when you have those injured list spots, when you have a space you can stash those guys, it's so much easier to draft yeah, a Bryce a Harper, game. put him in your IL, pick up somebody else. Yeah. It, but it's so different in the NFBC, and I am not used to it yet. And I'm I still think about oh, I can stash one or two. No, you cannot. You cannot. You should have usable <laughs> guys on your bench. Uh, it's something that I'm working on. Jenny, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I'm going to end with the same question that we end every episode of What the Fab with, which is, what is a piece of advice? And, and we'll keep it fab specific since we've been talking about fab today. Uh, what is a piece of fab advice that you would give to a newish fantasy baseball player? I think it's important to not get caught up in the hype over some of these expensive players. Think about it as a marathon and not a sprint. And think about how you can make small incremental improvements to your team every week. I think that is perfectly well said. And, and it's a process-related uh, comment, which as previous listeners of the show know, I always love here at What the Fab. Uh, Jenny, where can people find you? Where can they find your work? Yeah, um, I uh, mostly on Twitter, I think, is probably the easiest place to find me. I'm at Jenny Butler 830 uh, I'm on there and I'm doing um, a little bit of sporadic writing right now, mostly for Roto Baller. Um, I'm trying to keep it a little bit lesser during the season. Last year, I think I overcommitted a little bit to writing and I really want to focus on my own team. So um, I do a lot more writing off season than during the season. But um, if anybody wants to contact me, Twitter is probably the best, best place to do it. Jenny is an awesome follow on Twitter one of the smartest fantasy baseball players that I know. If you want to follow me and my work, you can follow at BCB underscore Sarah, no H on the Sarah. Follow the show at at what the fab. Make sure you are subscribed to the show so you never miss an episode. Search for Fans First Fan Fantasy Sports Network Fantasy, and you will find us uh, on any podcast aggregator. If you like the show, leave a five-star review and a rating so other people can find the show. And until next time, have a good one. <laughs>